specific topics to talk about in the sense of what's going on in our culture and world. But uh, we're going to take the time tonight, the entire, entire hour, to really focus our attention on covering as much ground and uh, dealing with the specific questions that have been given to us. And for those that have given us questions, I want to say thank you for uh, uh, these questions. Each and every question is very important. We want to do our very best to go to the Word of God and give you an answer that uh, is, is very clear and accurate to the Scriptures. And uh, I know some of these questions are very dear uh, to uh, a number of people, very concerning to a number of people, and uh, I pray that these answers would, would help you. So just getting right into the meat of the thought tonight, uh, the first question that we have for tonight's service is uh, based out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25. And the Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. And so the question is, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Aren't we obeying man rather than God, by choosing not to assemble together right now. And this question is a very good question. It's one of the hot topics of our religious world and Christian world today. And for a number of reasons, I want to just say first and foremost for this question, I appreciate it in the spirit of this question, the, uh, the concern of this question. And uh, we thank God for the men and women who have a desire to stand up on truth, continue to teach and preach, and stand for the Lord. And in a spirit of um, opposition, in a spirit and in a world of antichrist, uh, to uh, to proclaim the truth. And so I, I agree with that spirit. I thank God for that spirit. Uh, that's the reason why we're doing what we're doing here in our church. And yet uh, I do want to give you some uh, scriptural things to think about. Um, first of all, I want to say that, number one, we do have constitutional right and freedom of all different types of religion and uh deities and gods to worship in America. We constitutionally have that right, and we praise the Lord for that. And uh, yet at the same time, there is the constitutional right for the government to mandate uh, certain things for the physical well-being of the people. And so uh, I want to just submit you uh, my thoughts and then scripture and go to the Word of God with, with all of these things. And hopefully as you listen uh, these things will will be developed in your mind and your thoughts. Uh, I want to say, first of all, that we're not under religious persecution. And I say that very clearly. We're not under religious persecution. The government has not mandated as of yet that churches be shut down because they're denying our right and our religious freedom to meet together and worship, to pray, to preach, to teach, to um, assemble under the name of God in a tangible way. Uh, we are, we are, uh, we have been requested by our state here in the state of Michigan to um, uh, this mandate of no more than ten people meeting together to be uh, disbanded for a certain amount of time, and uh, also by our government, United States of America, our president, uh, giving those requests and mandates as well. And so uh, to just set the stage, we all understand that it's not just churches that are, if you will, temporarily being asked to withhold their services. There's also entities that we would stand against, such as uh, bars. As a Bible believer, praise God, in America, at least in Michigan, bars are being closed down. Uh, I went to a public school all of my life, and yet as an adult, as a Christian man, as a Bible believer, I do believe very scripturally that uh, the public schools, there's a number of things that I stand against, um, uh, that the Bible stands against in those uh, those certain places of, of teaching and education. Uh, there's a number of Christians that put their children in a public school, and that's between you and God. That's not a subject I'm really going to get into tonight. But I will say that humanistically, socialistically, uh, there's a spirit of um, uh, rebellion against the Word of God, taking the Ten Commandments out of the Word of God, taking an opportunity to pray day by day out of um, uh, out of the public school, 
Uh, there is a spirit, in many cases, even amongst the peers as well as teachers, for those students that are trying to serve the Lord to um, make fun, make light, and to uh, speak out against. And so I understand, even in the public schools, the magnification when it, when it comes to evolution, and evolution being taught not as a theory but as a fact. And so we have to be reminded as Bible believers that our government has requested, at least in the state of Michigan, that we this mandate of not coming together with groups of ten or more, not because we are under religious persecution. You have to understand that. All of this is done under the thought of a disease and a virus and sickness and health and the well-being of a nation, i.e. a world. And so as we go to the Word of God, God's Word, it really deals with these things and how we are to submit to the authority of government as long as that government does not contradict or go against the Scriptures. And the first thing I want to talk to you is this old Levitical law that was mandated by God Himself to the nation of Israel just concerning viruses or sicknesses or diseases. So I think there's a practical note that we can dive off into the subject that is at hand by looking in Leviticus chapter 13. And we're going to read down from verse 38 to verse 46. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 38. The Bible says that the man also or woman have in the skin of their flesh bright spots, even white bright spots. Then the priest shall look. And behold, if the bright spots in the skin of their flesh be darkish white, it is a freckled spot that groweth on the skin. He is clean. And the man whose hair is fallen off his head, he is bald, yet he is clean. And he that hath his hair fallen off from the part of his head to toward his face, he is, he is forehead bald, yet... Is he clean? Verse 42. And if there be in the bald head or bald forehead a white reddish sore, it is a leprosy sprung up in his bald, bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall look upon it. And behold, if the rising of a sore be white reddish in his bald head or in his bald forehead, as the leprosy appeareth, in the skin of the flesh, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is his head, in his head, and the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean all the days wherein the plague shall be in him he shall be defiled he is unclean and he shall dwell alone without the camp shall his habitation be now i know that this is talking about leprosy but there's a good large amount of just practical truth that we can apply to the virus that we're dealing with number one let me just mandate that the word of god is so precise and so accurate prior to even um over the last hundred years when it comes to uh, uh, sanitary issues and uh, even the issue of, of having masks in our hospital and so forth and so on. God's Word is so profound and so accurate that even in Old Testament days that we would say are days lacking in um, uh, education or days lacking in um, uh, uh, specifics concerning technology and so forth and so on. God knew what would happen. God knew how to stop the illnesses. The second thing that I want to talk to you about is that number number two, we see the priest in essence is a position. The priest in essence would be the one that the individual would go to as you and I would go to a doctor. We go to a physician for a number of reasons. We go to a doctor for a number of reasons. Two specific reasons. Number one, to diagnose the issue. And that's exactly what the priest did. In this case, leprosy was unable to be removed. There was not an answer, an antidote, or a cure. Uh, and very similar to what we're talking about here. And so, number one, the diagnosis. But then number two, uh, the, the, the remedy. 
And the remedy in this case is very similar, similar to the remedy in the case of our virus. Whether you, not, whether you believe the virus is, is a big issue or a small issue, and there's a lot of different people on both sides of the spectrum as a child of God, we understand that it is an issue. I mean, you can look at uh, Brother Baldwin, and you can talk to him as our pastor and brother and friend has been uh, ill with this, and other Christians that I personally know uh, and people that have heard talk about the issue, how it's very much a real thing, how it's very much something that they've never felt before, how to attack the body and the immune system, et cetera, et cetera, and it's just overwhelming. And so um, whether you make light of this or you take uh, very cautious procedures to this, there's a principle that we find in the Word of God that the priest, or in our case, the doctor says, this is what the issue is, and this is how to stop it from growing or being uh, another person being contaminated with this issue. So I think there's just, first and foremost, a practical note there. I will also say, um, if we go to the doctor, um, if we go to the doctor and if we take medicine, does that remove any faith that we have in God's ability? And the answer to that is no. And I'll give you some illustrations. Number one, what Christian says, okay, my car, the transmission is broken, so I'm just going to pray and ask God by faith that He would fix my transmission. And they do that. What Christian would do that? Now, does God have the ability to cure this disease and this virus and this illness? Absolutely He does. The other thing could be said, God has the ability to fix your transmission. But you don't find Christians calling out to God saying, God, my car is broke. And I have faith, so much faith, that I'm going to lean uh, upon you and believe that you're going to fix my car and live in that manner. No. Also, uh, we're talking about preventative maintenance here as well. A preventative maintenance in the sense of uh, each and every person's well-being. That's what the government is doing by mandating these large groups not assembled. And so... Let me ask you this. If you go to the mechanic or you take and have a plumber comes to your home and he looks at your pipes or your sewage or he looks at your car and he says, this needs to be fixed and this needs to be fixed and this needs to be fixed, are you not going to hear to his advice? You might not if you don't have the money at the time, but you will as money comes in. You're thinking about that. Preventative maintenance. Why do you change the oil of your car? Because it extends the life of your motor. And that within itself is just a practical note when it comes to what we're doing here. Our government is doing, again, this is not religious persecution. This is uh, preventative maintenance from our neighbor or a senior in our church getting sick. And I think that a child of God that sees these things would adhere to them. Uh, also, let me just give you a few other things to think about. There are verses in the Bible that instruct God's people to use Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6 tells us to use bandages um, James chapter 5 and verse 14 talks about the elders of the church using oil I don't believe that's some kind of supernatural holy oil I believe it's just medicinal oil also 1st Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23 Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake he wasn't using that as an excuse to be a drunkard he was using it because of the issue that it was at hand and what was provided in his day would be somewhat comparable to maybe a, 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 a drug that you would buy at Walmart or Myers, uh, some kind of NyQuil or something of that nature and taking relief in that sense. Also, Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 12 speaks about using leaves, certain types of leaves to help infirmities and sicknesses in the body. Will God perform a, a, a miracle uh, to fix your car? Will God perform a miracle uh, to fix your computer? Uh, let me ask you this. There's a lot of computers that get viruses. I know it's a different type of virus, but I've never heard a child of God say, I believe in faith that God's going to take my computer and fix it for me and lean, lean upon that when there's all kinds of things you have to do with that computer. No, it's just logical sense. And I, I, I can't, you know, 
the Bible speaks about the autonomy of the local church. The Bible speaks about the self-government of the local church. We are self-sustaining, self-governing. I am the overseers, the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, for this local church. And as the pastor of this local church, I can't tell you what other churches are doing or should do or shouldn't do or, or this or that. But I'll tell you what we're doing. We are trying to be good uh, citizens of the United States of America because as we look at what's been said, it has no reflection of religious persecution whatsoever. And, uh, you know, I, I also want to encourage you with that word assembly. Or as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. For over nine days now, Solid Rock Baptist Church has been assembling in this format of teaching and preaching the Word of God, probably more doing more during this time with our Bible with preaching and teaching and questioning and answers of God's Word than a lot of other churches are. And we've invited and seen many, many people in our church attend that and be a part of that. Uh, let me just remind you, uh, when it comes to uh, physicians, we're talking about this illnesses, this illness. Uh, if it is biblically, biblically okay and right to go to the doctor and receive a diagnosis and a treatment, then is it right to follow necessary procedures such as preventative maintenance on your health? I went to the doctor the other day, and this guy and his wife were talking to me about when I turned 50, having to go in and get a colonoscopy in a joking manner. Why do people get a colonoscopy? Because it, it is preventative maintenance. You do those things to... Keep from something else happening to your physical body, some kind of uh, uh, some kind of cancer. Do do we not encourage people to eat healthy? What about drink more water and less soda? What about taking vitamins? I mean, people are so crazed about vitamin C nowadays because they don't want to get sick. Is that wrong? Do we not have faith in God? Have we uh, uh, distrusted God and all of this? No, it's just taking. What God has given to us through education and using it. This is not discrediting the word of God by no means. This is encouraging God's people. And I heard Clarence Sexton give a great discourse uh, a few days ago about this whole issue. And he was talking about the same things. And he said during this time we should be focusing our attention on prayer. On prayer. On prayer. On prayer. We neglect prayer so much in our churches. And we neglect uh, uh, other ministries that could be fortified and built up during this time. Instead of fighting over the issue, uh, uh, it, you know what? I'll just be honest. If our government comes on the screen, they say that we can't meet as a church anymore, and this is a Christian religious persecution, you better believe that this pastor is going to be fussing about it and fighting about it and standing uh, with each and every child of God to do what's right. But that's not the issue that is at hand. Christians are to submit to higher powers as well, the Bible tells us. And I can look in a couple of passages. You can go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And we'll look in verse 1. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That's every soul. You, me, Pastor Tyler, anyone and everyone. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Again, this is not a, a, a request going against the Bible. This is a request... According to the Constitution, the government has the right to mandate certain things for the health and the well-being of its population. So as a good Christian and as a good citizen wanting to live a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty, we are submitting to that in that format. Let me give you another passage, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 1 and verse 2. And Paul says a very similar note in this passage as well. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, verse 2 and verse 3, it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates and be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, deceived serving divers' lusts and pleasures, uh, living in malice and envy and hate, hateful and hating one another. And I, I think there's just a lot of principles that you find in the Word of God, whether it be just simply obeying the leadership of our government because it's not contradicting the Bible, or uh, the thought of preventative maintenance and even that Levitical law that was mandated to the nation of Israel about leprosy. He was uh, declared a leper, and then what was he to do? He was to remove himself from 
uh, the population. Now, I don't know all the specifics about the virus, but I do know this. I've heard numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers of times that people can get it airborne, touching things, um, uh, touching your face is like I just did. Uh, touching your face is a large way of, of getting this. Uh, I don't know all the specifics. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But I do know that probably 99% of the doctors, uh, percentage-wise, are out there. Uh, scientific people, people that are renowned in their field, that know what they're talking about, they all collectively say the same thing. And uh, so why is it that children of God fussing and fighting about something that we don't need to fuss and fight about? Let's be good citizens, good examples. Let's lead by example. Let's love the Lord and uh, uh, use this time to witness and win people to the Lord and serve the Lord and uh, take these principles of just preventative maintenance. Again, no one prays. And let, let no one prays in this thought of uh, fix my automobile, God, because I've got faith. And let me just say this note, these uh, faith healers out there, it's amazing how many of these faith healers have locked their doors, these churches that say they can lay hands on you and diseases uh, or illnesses or they can fix the toe infirmity or they can fix the snaggletooth issue or they can fix whatever in the human body. They're nothing more than crooks. If you don't agree with what... What's been said tonight, at least you can agree with the honesty that I'm not a faith healer. I don't have any ability in these hands. And uh, uh, Paul said three times he prayed that the thorn of the flesh would be removed, and God didn't remove it. And I do believe in trusting God. And what are we doing through all of this? We're trusting God, and we're following the Scripture, and we're hearing ourselves to the Word of God with these specifics. I hope this, this has been uh, encouraging. I hope it's been a blessing and a help. Uh, and if you don't agree with what's been said, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. The Bible says, let every man work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. You're going to have to stand before God. I'm the only one at Solid Rock Baptist Church, according to Acts chapter 20, that's going to stand before God and give an account as the overseer of this ministry. No one else in this church will. So even at that note, if you don't agree, we can still be brothers. We can agree to disagree and still walk together and serve the Lord, uh, but if it does turn into religious persecution, uh, this is one of those brothers that's going to stand and serve the Lord and uh, do what I can to fight and keep the faith uh, for my children, for my, my neighbors, and uh, for our church. Amen. Do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I just wanted to, I thought of some things um, when Pastor was talking there. Um, just wanted to give you uh, my heart, too, just what God's taught me specifically through this time. Um, and I was thinking that just because just because churches assemble physically does not mean that they're assembled spiritually. And there's a lot of times, as Paul told the church of Corinth, you know, he goes, you guys didn't get together for the better, but for the worse. And um, it's really challenged me just to appreciate, you know, sometimes times like this really reflect on things that you should have um, thought about when you did assemble physically with people. I know um, personally, I will never take for granted you know, we probably on Wednesday night have roughly six kids uh, that come here for the Wednesday night children's service. But I'll never take for granted those six kids ever again. You know, I miss those six kids. And so this time has really taught me, it's humbled me um, to appreciate what God's given me. And I would pray that it would do the same for you as well. So just the thought of just because you're assembled as a church body, it does not mean that you're honoring God in that. And hopefully through this time, it'll challenge us to appreciate that more. And also... You know, thinking of that, that what we talked about a couple of days back with Mary and Martha and how Martha was cumbered about with much serving. Um, but God said that Mary had chosen that which can't be taken away from her as she sat at Jesus's feet. And it is a challenge for me, especially during these times, as you are removed physically from maybe the presence of other believers or what you would call a standard service. It's challenged me with my walk with Christ, because when you're at home and that's all you have is just you and your spouse and your family and your relationship with God, it's like, that's when you're truly challenged to see how personal Jesus Christ is to you. And so I think I, I would exhort you there. And I also want to mention, you know, the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Amen. We wrestle, wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I would just encourage you with that, too. I'm thankful for our, um, you know, our um, politicians who stand up for, uh, you know, against abortion and against uh, specific issues like that. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of Christians, I find them trying to change the legislation more than they try to change the hearts of people. And let us not get wrapped up so much in politics that we miss the opportunity to reach the hearts of people. And, you know, when, when Paul was thrown in prison, he wasn't, as a politician, trying to change the legislation as far as what Christians could do. 
It says he used that time for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's be let's be spiritually smart about this. Let's be let's be mindful of this. Let's use this opportunity. And I would say too, we don't prefer this. I don't prefer Absolutely. not seeing you guys as as other fellow believers. I miss my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but we definitely understand that, like Pastor said, the powers that be are ordained of God, and we do want to be model citizens as well as the best Christians we can possibly be. So um, definitely some good stuff there. Um, briefly tonight. Uh, just one of the questions, like you said, we had, we kind of branched off a little bit, and we were dealing with some other subjects um, that we wanted to talk about. And I kind of want to deal with one, I'm not going to do it all at once, but deal with one subject in specific tonight. And that's the thought of, you know, let me read you this quote. It'll kind of help to introduce it a little bit better. David Duplessis was a uh, leader in the charismatic movement, and he made this statement. The New Testament is not a record of what happened to one generation but it is a blueprint of what should happen in every generation until Jesus comes. Now, that's a very bold statement because basically what David there is stating is that the let's take the acts of the apostles or maybe the miracles of the prophets of the Old Testament or things that Moses did. He's stating that that thing should happen in every generation of Christianity, and that's just not what you biblically find. And so I wanted to talk briefly just about um, the apostles. And you think of the apostles and what they did in the book of Acts, the great wonders, even in the Gospels. Should we be experiencing that in this day and age? Are we missing out on the Holy Spirit? Do we not have contact with God if we have if we don't have the ability to get bit by poisonous snakes and yet survive? And so I just wanted to briefly uh, just go through that really quick. Now, the Bible is full of different kind of manifestations of God's power. You see miracles, you see signs, you see wonders. And again, it, it kind of beckons the question, should that be in the church today? Now, miracles in the, in the Bible occurred in three major time periods. You see miracles occurring in the days of Moses and Joshua. You see miracles occurring in the days of Elijah and Elisha. And then you also see miracles occurring in the days of Christ and the apostles. Three specific time periods. But I want you to know, if you study those time periods out, they were all times of transition. All mm. times of transition when God was introducing new revelation. Uh, to, to the human race or specifically to the, the people of Israel. You have Moses. At the time of Moses and Joshua, he gave the law to the children of Israel. After Solomon, the division of the two kingdoms between the northern tribes and the southern being the kingdom of Judah, you have the great uh, wonders and, and signs that Elijah and Elisha did. And then lastly, Christ and the apostles, where Jesus gave the New Testament. So you see, you see proof of this um, validified by the acts and signs and wonders of those three people. Just to give you some scriptural examples, if you'll go to Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, and we'll start reading in verse uh, 3 here, Exodus 4, we'll start reading in verse 1, Exodus 4, 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, speaking of the children of Israel, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto me. And the Lord said unto him, what is it that is in thine hand? And he said, a rock. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, and make it, take it by the tail. And he put it forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. So again, Moses needed to prove that God had spoken to him, so he used miracles. Next, we go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 23. 1 Kings 17, 23. I'll start reading for sake of time. It says, And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. Elijah had just resurrected her son from the dead. Verse 24, And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Again, just validifying Elijah. And then lastly, we go to John. Go to John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. And we'll start reading in verse 25. John chapter 10 in verse, we'll start reading in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Fast forward to verse 32. Jesus answered them. Many good works have I shewed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? So again, you see, every time that there's a transition in Scripture, you see signs, you see a testimony there of great works such as miracles, 
um, maybe even tongues as you progress to the New Testament, and they were all validifying a new message. So therefore, we would only need to utilize those if we're delivering a new message. Lastly, I just want to remind you before we go um, on to the next point, you go to Mark, Mark chapter 16. Go with me to Mark chapter 16, what some would utilize as the Great Commission. Mark 16. We'll start reading in verse 14. After he appeared unto the eleven as he sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we always quote that verse, but he doesn't stop there. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on their sick, and they shall recover. Again, God giving this great commission to the apostles as they were still going to the nation of Israel, confirming them as apostles because they had to prove that they had been with Christ, and they're, and they're putting forth these new signs testifying of that. I can tell you tonight, I am not going to allow a snake to bite me. Um, you can say I don't have that much faith, but as we'll talk about later, I will prove, you know, God says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've entered a new dispensation where it's not so much the signs. You know, God says the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. And we understand that we are sealed with, with the spirit of promise based on the word of truth that we hear. And lastly, I just want to end this point with, with this. In Matthew chapter 12, God says a foolish and adulterous generation seeketh a sign. Signs were never given for a good reason. It was always given to unbelievers that they might believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ, Pastor. Amen. Very good, uh, Pastor Tom. I appreciate all of those things. You know, one thing that I do want to just uh, footnote to encourage you to think about, upon is that the book of Acts is definitely a transitional book. We see a lot of wonderful acts that the apostles did during that period of time. And yet, as Pastor Tyler has already said, a sign unto the nation of Israel to believe that Christ was the Messiah. And as God has postponed his ministry with the nation of Israel and directed it now to um, a body that is of both Jew and Gentile, bond and free. And uh, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. And through all of that, God no longer works through signs. He works through the clarity of his word. And we thank God, even with speaking of tongues, if you go to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, uh, these, these thoughts of prophecies and, and uh, signs and tongues and whatnot being ceased and done away with and uh, we praise the Lord for a more accurate sure word that we have and that's the, uh, the reality of this book really leads me into our third question it's very simple and yet it's truly profound and I think there's a number of people believers as well as unbelievers that kind of fit in this category and so hopefully you'll take note tonight just to give you some very good logical things that we uh, want to pull out of the Bible but the question is why is the Bible so hard to understand Again, why is the Bible so hard to understand? And I would submit to you that there's a phrase or a statement that we often have heard throughout life, and it is, you get out of it what you put into it. And I say that with tongue-in-cheek, a little bit of humor there, but there's a true point of reality that's mixed in that. Um, a lot of people might ask this question, why is the Bible so hard to understand? Because they put very, very, very little effort, very little time uh, that's involved in actually going to this book. And at face value, 66 books, there's a lot of things that the Word of God covers, a lot of human history, a lot of different wars and uh, arguments and people and nationalities, and there's a lot of love and romance. There's a lot of uh, poetry in this book. This book is so, uh, so profound that someone said that it's so deep that it takes the greatest of theologians to scratch the, the bottom of its surface and really never coming to uh, that, that depth, that level of understanding it all. And yet it's so simple that a child in childlike faith can understand for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I've often thought about these um, Bible translators as they want to change the words of God and they want to give us a new perversion. And yet there's such a, a purity, such a, a very innocent, very uh, simple way of delivery with God's word from the King James Bible. Um, the Bible says, Romans chapter 16, 
that the rich man died and lifted up his eyes in hell. People know what hell is. We don't have to change that word. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's so simple that even a man sitting behind a, a prison bar can understand I'm a sinner and I know that. And I don't have to disagree with that. And yet uh, many times uh, I do know that the word of God is very challenging and it's very difficult. There are some large words. There are some very archaic words in the King James Bible. And yet, again, I want to remind you, you get out of the Bible what you put into it. If you want to know this Bible, it's knowable. If you want to understand this Bible, it's attainable. If you want to have a better understanding, a, a more solid foundation of your faith, then you can achieve that. But it's going to put, you're going to have to put an effort into it. And so I say that with, um, with, with love and, and reality and truth. I say this to our church family. Our church family know me as a pastor. I encourage our people to be in the Word of God daily, to study the Scriptures. Uh, we want to be known for that here at our church. We want to know the Word of God. That's why we're taking the time to answer some of the uh, some of these uh, large, profound questions. We want to know God's Word. We want people to know God's Word. It is everything to us. It is our. It's what we base our faith and our practices upon. Uh, if heaven is not real, if hell's not real, then what does the Bible say? If angels are not real, then what does the Bible say? You know, we find all of these things in the Word of God. And so it's very, very, very important. Uh, so just four thoughts, four points. Number one, I would encourage this person to read the Bible more faithfully. And uh, I'm not talking about skimming over the surface uh, that like some young people might do uh, with a required assignment in a science class or a history, history class. I mean taking the time to really digest and to study and to read and uh, just on a daily basis to get familiar with the terminology of the Bible such as righteousness and justification and sanctification, these uh, theological words that you find in the Word of God and then other large words that you find ascribed to certain doctrines, eschatology and soteriology and bibliology and uh, Christology and the ologies of the Bible, that's just another subject. But to know what God's Word says means that we have to read it. And so just to give you a few verses to kind of back up some of these thoughts, we'll look at a few verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. And I would submit to you as we uh, turn to this passage, uh, in my own life, I'm not a history buff. Uh, I know certain things about history. I know certain major points about history. Um but am I a history buff? By no means. I don't claim to be a history buff. I don't go around talking about different aspects of history uh, just off the cuff. That's not my forte. But those men and women, boys and girls that love that subject, they put the time into knowing those things. And I love the Bible. I love the Bible because of the transformation that it gives to mankind. I love it because of how it uh, saves and how there's hope. And it reveals all these amazing Thoughts that are given to mankind that would not be seen or known without this book. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 down in verse number 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now I know the verse talks about singing. But the first portion of it in connection with singing. The right kind of music to sing is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, let it dwell. Let it be something that you read, you memorize, you study, you do it. You live out the Word of God. Look in Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119. And for, um, for a number of Bible believers that are watching tonight, this might be old stuff, or I'm preaching to the choir, and you already know these things, but it's good to be reminded. I think a short pencil is far greater than a long memory, and sometimes... Uh, the mother of all learning is repetition. And to pull these things out, to be reminded and convicted, to be convicted. What is the priority of your life? What's the focus of your life? As a child of God, it should be to grow. You and I, we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account of what we know concerning this book. And it's sad. I think one man said, how dare uh, you and I be presented with the gospel five, six, seven, ten times when people in parts of the world never been given the gospel once. How dare we have 15 Bibles? You can go to the Dollar General store in most cities and buy a Dollar King James Bible. It's everywhere. It's on the internet. It's 
uh, different sayings, even in our culture, phrases, all of these different things links, link back to the Word of God. Psalms chapter 119, the Bible says in 105, he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Again, read it, memorize it, study it, and do it. Uh, just um, two practical points here to kind of leave you with as we go to the next question is, uh, number one, find a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and get in that church. If you're not saved, get saved first. You're never going to understand this book until you know Christ. And then there's a principle. Look in Acts chapter 8. Um, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I've been preaching since I was 14 years old. I'm a 40-year-old man. I've preached all across the southeast. I've been in different countries and preached. God's used me in different ministries. Uh, but I say all of that to say this. Even as a teacher, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I have pastors that I call and kind of go over things in my mind with before I preach about them or teach about them. I've uh, sharpened my iron with the iron of Pastor Tyler, and we've kind of uh, hit one and another left and right with different Bible questions and topics. Why? Because no one knows it all, and we should all be searching and seeking truth. And here's a good principle of finding a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Not one that puts its emphasis on music. Look at me. I hope you're watching me. These churches that want to put the emphasis on music first and the Word of God second to none, I wouldn't give you two nickels to rub together for those churches. Because those churches are magnifying something that is secondary to the Word of God. A lot of Christians, even in fundamental realms, They'll say, oh, we've got to have uh, the right kind of music. And they don't even believe in having the right kind of Bible. How are you going to have the right kind of music if you don't have the right kind of Bible? Because the Bible is first, and it should be first. And so I'm talking about a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church. A church that has a, a, a good men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study, a good Sunday school, a, a, a good Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, a good revival meeting, a good mission conference. You know, I, this may be foreign to a lot of people, but uh, you need a you need a church that's going to teach you the Bible. And here's a principle. He says in Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter eight, verse thirty. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou seest? Philip was a teacher. And the man said, and he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in the place of the scriptures. He began to expound to him. Philip began to teach him. It's just a good principle that we all need a teacher. If I want to know more about science, then I'm going to find a science buff. I'm going to find someone that knows uh, the subject. And we need to take the time to beat upon the crap that God has given to us as Bible students. We've been commanded in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 to study to show ourselves approved unto God. And I will submit to you that if you're a new Christian and you're new to this and you come to a church, there are going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to say, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Or how do I do this? Or what does the Bible mean by it saying this? And that's good. A church that does not allow Bible questions is a foolish church. And no one knows it all. And we need to be growing. And yet, if you've been saved for 20 and 30 years and you're still asking this question, why is the Bible so hard to understand? Then I would submit to you that there's something wrong in your relationship with God's Word. Meaning that there's something wrong with you and your relationship with God, with Christ. Because if you love Christ, if you love God, you're going to study His love letters to you, to you, to us. And that means you're going to have to take time. Again, it works. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly divided. Dividing the word of truth. And I can submit to you just over the last nine days with the multiple amounts of subjects that we've covered and uh, a, a large number of hours between the both of us just studying the word of God, even if we already know the subject, but to be able to articulate it and present it in a manner in which people can receive it and say, oh, that makes sense. I understand that. 
there's an old statement that the, the teacher learns more than the student. And it's because the teacher is studying. And so why is the Bible so hard to understand? I'll leave that in your corner and up to you. It's not. It's really not. You have the opportunity and the liberty to do so, but will you? And I want to challenge you in that thought tonight. God bless you. Good. We got time for one more? Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to comment on that because that's really good. Um, just that thought of understanding the Bible. Um, I see so many Christians who, well, there's two sides to that. They say they say they don't understand the Bible, but then you never see them at church, or you never right. see them at Bible studies, right. or you never see them, you know, in it. And God says in Ephesians that He gave gifts unto men, like Pastor quoted last night, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the work of the ministry. So God gave you an outlet to get plugged into in order to help you with those things. So I would encourage you, if you say you can't understand it, are you doing everything in your power in order for someone else to help and assist you as well? You know, we don't, I mean, I, a lot of this stuff I, I didn't know about till I studied it. It took this to really bring the light in my own life. Um, so it, it does take that labor. It does take that work. You know, we have groups in our church of our young men, and we text each other Bible verses every morning because we need that. You know, you need that in, in order to grow. So I would encourage you in that regard. And also, um, he mentioned, too, about people saying, well, I don't need the same thing over and over again. But here's the thing. I love Cancun. It's the best Mexican food you've ever <laughs> ate in your life. But I don't just get it once. I eat it again, and I eat it again, and I eat it again, and I eat it again. You know what it does? It makes you gain weight. It makes you fatter, right? Because because the sustenance, the goodness of it. And so the Word of God is not something where we just eat, and then we do, and, and we just, we're just done with it. You want to eat it again and again. And the cool part about God's word is it gets tastier and it gets better and it, it just encourages you and it allows you to grow. And so I would encourage you in, in that regard as well. And lastly, you know, when you have a child, when you have a baby, you know, God says that he's hid himself from the wise and prudent. He's revealed himself unto babes. You don't start giving your babies steak. Absolutely. They eat Gerber mashed up food. Um, you know, if you're Amish, you chew your food and spit it in their mouth. You know, you, you start off with like little baby foods and then you progress over time and then you become more independent. You know, I know that um, pastor sons, my daughter knows how to go to the fridge by themselves and get something to eat. Right. So over time, you know, you got to start right. just easing into it and then you gain um, the ability to, to eat there. Um, I'll just close really quick on this. This is really short um, and then we'll pro I'll probably have time, Lord willing, to finish it tomorrow. But we were talking about the apostles, signs, miracles, things pertaining to that. I just want to give you five specific things of what qualifies an apostle and why we wouldn't have them in this in this time period. So go first to 2 Corinthians really quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. Here's what Paul says. He goes, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So he's confirming his apostleship to the Corinthian church. Verse 12, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So we see specifically Amen. the qualification for an apostle. There's certain signs. There's a ministry that the apostle is going to have that's different than the other offices specifically of a church. And I want to encourage you next to go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start reading in verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read verse 19 to 20. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now I don't build houses, but I'm pretty sure you just lay a foundation once, and then you build upon that foundation. So if people would claim to be apostles nowadays, it's like they're trying to reestablish a foundation that has already been laid, right. which we don't specifically need to do. And you see a progression. Even a pastor was reading out of Titus last night. And you see a progression in the Word of God where it turns from speaking specifically of apostles. And, you know, you think about in Titus um, chapter 1 when he tells him to put in order things that are wanting, ordaining elders in every city. And then he reaffirms, just like in, in First and Second Timothy, the qualifications of a bishop. And you start to see pastors and teachers and new, new offices of the body of Christ. And no longer do you see the form of apostleship. And here's the, here's the quick qualifications 
And uh, for sake of time, I'll just read them really quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, we see the first qualification specifically of an apostle. Here's Paul speaking. He goes, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? One of the qualifications specifically of an apostle, as we see by Paul, is that you had to see the resurrected Christ. Now, there's a lot of people today that say they've seen Jesus. Let me tell you what. This is what Paul says. He says, and this is in 1 Corinthians 15, after he speaks of the uh, Lord resurrecting and then who he was seen by. Verse 5, it says, in that he was seen, talking to Jesus, of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as right. one born out of two time. Paul says, look, the last person to see the resurrected Christ was me, and you're not going to see him again until the rapture of the church where you meet him in the air. Amen. Now, the second thing is the apostles had to be chosen personally by Jesus Christ. We see that in Matthew chapter 10, and we'll hurry for sake of time. Matthew chapter 10, in verse 1 through 4. Matthew 10, verse 1 through 4. And when he had called unto him the twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphebius, and Levius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And so Jesus specifically appointed those apostles. There were more than just that. There was an additional apostles, but again, Christ was the one who had appointed them. Um, next, we see that the apostles had to be authenticated by signs, which we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that Paul speaks of the signs that authenticated his apostleship. We understand from Jude 17 that God gave absolute authority to the apostles. What they say said went. In Acts chapter 5, you think of Ananias and Sapphira. They, they lied until the Holy Ghost kept back part of the offering that they were supposed to put forth, and Peter had the authority to kill them. They died. And so the apostles had that element. And then lastly, they have a unique place of honor in Revelations 21. It says that in the wall, and we'll read it for it because I know I'm going to mess it up, but Revelations chapter 21 in verse 14 it says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So they had that specific authority. Now again, we are in the dispensation of grace. We don't have the office of the apostle no more because what we have is the gospel that Paul preached, the death, burial, and resurrection. There's nothing new yet that we need to authenticate. We have the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is our authority. This is the authority that we have. Churches don't need constitutions. They have Bibles. This is our authority. And lastly, just to close that up, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, as Peter is specifically still speaking to the nation of Israel, Acts chapter 2, in verse 17, Acts 2, 17. And it shall come to pass, this is Peter talking to Israel, the, the, the Jews that had crucified Christ. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days my spirit of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will shew wonders in heaven above, and signs in earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And so you're not going to see the apostolic ministry of signs and wonders until the church is raptured out. And then that kingdom program comes back into play during those seven years of tribulation. Then the Bible says those things are going to begin to be reinstituted and they're going to start seeing those things specifically again. So, Amen. Praise the Lord. Just really good stuff. Um, I think we might have maybe two more minutes. And uh, this is a small little question we can get right to and then kind of be dismissed. Um, it's, uh, the question is entitled, Do Demons, Evil Spirits, and Ghosts Exist? And I would submit to you just very clearly and very honestly according to the scriptures and knowing uh, to the scriptures, but uh, a number of other references that you can take note of. And the answer there is yes. Uh, demonology is the systematic study of demons, uh, spiritism, um, possession of bodies, uh, whether it be um, mental health disorders that are schizophrenic, schizophrenic people, um, so forth and so on, but they do exist. Uh, they do exist. In fact, you can go to the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 31, 
Uh, demons inhabit animals' bodies. Animal bodies. Uh, demons also inhabit people's bodies. Mark chapter 5 speaks about it in other places. Um, this is very unique. I, I want to encourage you with this thought. There's a number of deities and religions out there that bow down to idol worship. And behind those idols, each of those idols, in fact, is a demon or some kind of demon-type worship uh, implemented with all of that, uh, whether those people see it, understand it or not. And uh, I even believe that uh, when you come to certain charismatic movements, some of these things that totally go against the Bible, and people say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe, what I saw. I believe what I saw. And uh, those things definitely testifying of a supernatural element where the devil would intervene and work and uh, when it's clearly not a part of God's program and God's scripture. Um, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things uh, edify not. Uh, then he says down in verse, um, verse 24, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And um, I bring that verse to your attention because I, I want to say that there's a lot of people that are seeking after these things, watching these things on television, opening up their homes um, uh, to, to demon movies and horror movies and all kinds of supernatural spirited things. And, and it's just... Uh, it's a horrible place to go. It's an ungodly place to go to allow uh, the devil to have room in your life. Again, let no man let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And and you're not going to have uh, a, the life that you should have when you think about these things and watch these things and give yourself over to these things. I don't allow my children get, to go to. Um, we don't we don't believe in trick or treating. We don't uh, get involved in that. Why? Because even though a lot of people look at it very innocently, it's not because its origin is based upon the devil. We don't allow our children to go to a haunted house. I don't want my kids to see these things. And uh, again, as the Bible says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And I'm thinking about your, your future. I'm thinking about your home. I'm thinking about uh, you allow these things to be entered into your home. And then before you know it, your child grows up. There's satanic influence. And uh, if it's not demon possession, it could be demon oppression. I want you to look at Acts chapter 19. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. A lot of people, they believe in demons. They believe in the supernatural and the spirit world. They talk to the dead, those things. There, There's a lot of television programs that give um, notes to all those subjects. But yet... They don't agree that there's angels. You can't have demons without angels. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that one-third of the angel population rebelled against Christ. And they were cast out of heaven, cast down uh, with, with uh, Lucifer in that rebellion. He says in Acts chapter 19. Now this, uh, this story is uh, very, it's, it's very real. It's a very fearful, fearful story. And uh, yet it's a very true story just to kind of end what we're talking about here on the scriptures. He says in Acts chapter 19, verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, who Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sibia, a Jew, and the chief of the priest, which did so. Notice this, verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? These people thought that they could somehow come in the name of Jesus very lightheartedly to address this exorcist and to cast out the devil. And notice, he says, who are you? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they had fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell upon all of them in the name of the Lord. Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. 
many of them also which use curious arts, the Bible says, curious arts. I want to encourage you to stay away from these um, ungodly, wicked signs and uh, games that deal with spiritism. And uh, even if something is old, maybe in a lot of people's mind, outdated, such as the Ouija board, there's a lot of things, uh, whether it be your sign, uh, those things, the origin of those things, people holding up the peace sign. You realize that the peace sign is an upside down cross and it's broken and it it means a spirit of, uh, of unity is that circles around that upside down cross that's broken to stand in defiance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people wear these on their shirt. Even I've seen Christian people. Uh, Kiss, uh, that band Kiss has uh, a satanic symbol on uh, many of its shirts and covers and in the very... Uh, um, uh, the label of that band, and uh, it deals with um, uh, with um, with lightning bolts and uh, just satanic symbols. But it says many of them also, which use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them. You believe that this is God's book? The devil has his books too, and uh, these things are not for the child of God to be a part of. To allow into your home, you should guard your children with what they watch on TV. And even as we think about uh, uh, certain movies, uh, there's a lot of these things that come in very simple and very small and very innocent-like, and yet they're right in front of our children, and our children are seeing these things and having no clue what's really going on behind the scenes. And so at the end of the question, are demons real? Are spirits real? Absolutely. And I want to encourage you to uh, be afraid of them in the spirit of reverence and knowing God's word. You know, these preachers that want to get on TV and bind Satan, they don't have the power to do that. You know, even Michael the archangel didn't have the power to do that in the book of Jude. These people want to play with God's word. They don't even know God's word. And they want to boastfully say that they can bind Satan. You need to run. You need to run to the cross and, and, and take the blood and take the word of God and get into that book and read that book. And understand that Michael himself, he couldn't even uh, war against Satan. He durst not. He durst not. He dare not uh, make an, a railing accusation against the devil himself. When the devil wanted the body of Moses because there was a spirit of reverence and respect that he had in that chain of, of uh, angelic command in, in that realm. And yet these Christians, they don't even know the Bible and they hear something on TV, we're going to bind Satan today in the name of... You need, to, you need to search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. You're going to be like this group right here that don't know the Bible, and you're trying to perform something, and that demon... Uh, let me give you a good note here. Uh, am I possessed? Absolutely. I'm possessed with the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says try the spirits, whether they be of the, the Lord, whether they be of God or not. And um, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30... Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed for the day of redemption. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He lives inside the believer, the hope of you, which is God, in you, the hope of glory. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not possessed with a demon. I'm possessed with Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And yet, I also know that demons have a way of oppressing Christians. You're a Christian. You're filled with uh, anxiety. You're filled with stress. You're filled with depression. You're filled. You're cumbered down. Sometimes it's because you're not walking with God, and and you're not allowing the Lord to have reign and rule and authority in your life. You're allowing all of these fleshly things in connection with movies that you're watching and things that you're associating with that you don't even really think are bad, but the devil's using them. And I, I do believe the devil, uh, according to the scriptures, he has a way of oppressing. Uh, even children of God. And uh, we need to go to the Lord about these matters. So, yes, I believe in demons. Do you have anything you want to add there? Good. I actually wrote down the buying Satan part, and I was thinking of Skiba. And because a lot of people, they think because they're saved that they can just have power over demons. And you have this priest that perform exorcisms. I would never do that. I would not. You know, like you said, Satan's going to be bound in the millennial kingdom. Um, but even something else to think about, too, I was thinking in First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walked about, singing whom he may devour. Amen. But that, again, being in the tribulational sense, because we understand in our dispensation, he's the prince and power of the air. Right. And so just that different different economy there. But yeah, even Michael himself, who, 
that. I'm not even sure during the tribulation, you know, they, a lot of the angels, there's that angel that stands in the sun and whatnot. So who Michael is specifically was even scared about, about doing it. So I definitely would be uh, smart. You know, Jesus told Peter that he was going to sift him as wheat, and the only thing that was stopping that was Jesus praying that's against right. it. So, I mean, that's it's right. just, that's, that's good. Good thought there. Well, we've uh, concluded our study tonight. We pray that God has spoken to your heart. And if you have any questions or thoughts there, please post them on our church Facebook page. We've got two more nights of this revival, uh, tomorrow night and Wednesday. And then we'll be closing Wednesday night, looking back uh, our normal hours on Sunday and Sunday school this coming Lord's Day. And so we want to encourage you, if you can, invite family and friends to be a part two more nights. And if you have any other questions, uh, you can put those on our church Facebook page as well. Pastor Tyler, will you dismiss the word for us? Dearly Father, just thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to open up your word, God, and in the country that we have the freedom to do so. We do praise you for that. Uh, Lord, we think of in Acts, it says the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. And that is definitely, Lord, what we want to do. You have all these false teachers out there who are proclaiming a false weapon against spiritual dark forces. But as we've seen, taking the word of God, studying it, giving people the actual tools to understand spiritual warfare. God, we just praise you and exalt you for clarity. We pray that you give us more of it. We pray that you bless the rest of the services, Lord, in Jesus' name.